You're listening to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlis, and maybe somebody else. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 25 for Tuesday, December 11th, 2007. I'm Mark Spagnolo. And I'm Matt Vanderlis. Hey, Mark, what's going on, man? Oh, hanging in there. I'm just uh, getting a little frustrated today, but we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no problem. Well, you know what? As always, you know, everybody wants to get a hold of us at one point or another. So if you need to get a hold of us with some comments, some questions, some feedback, just want to say hi, all that good stuff, you know what? You can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or if you're just, you know, kind of uh, don't want to get on the computer, you can pick up a telephone and leave us a message at 623-242-2450 and get your comment, question, feedback, all that good stuff heard uh, so that it's not just our voices that are on there. Yes. So with that said, let's see what's going on. Uh, well, you know what? The uh, the shop is pretty busy right now, but the thing that's really, really on my brain is the fact that if technology were a human being, I would kick it in the face today <laughs> bring it behind just take it out of its knees and just would, right over the top yeah i would drop kick it and beat the crap out of it it's uh you know our little podcast here is uh is not as easy to produce as you know as it might seem um right you, you would think it's just my voice and your voice easy recording but when you're dealing with computers and we're using Skype, you know, when we're doing all that sort of thing, getting the uh, voice to route properly into the into the program can be really tricky. And, um, you know, I stepped it up and I got a really nice FireWire box, you know, that, that is basically a mixer and outputs into separate channels into mm-hmm. GarageBand. It's great in theory. Uh, and, of course, what winds up happening is I, – I don't actually, I don't know what winds up happening, but I'm on my second one. And these things run about three hundred to four hundred dollars each, so um, I'm having trouble to you know continually justify the purchase as uh, as we keep going along. And you know, I got a service plan, and they're not answering me, and it just it's I'm very frustrated, Matt. I completely understand. If you're on your second or third one, that's probably why they stopped answering. They're like, dude, we we suckered them in, man. We got them. We're set. <laughs> hey, different companies. How's that? They they just, oh, in that case, <laughs> there's a. I guess my name is on a list, but you know, it just it's one of those things that reminds me why why I love woodworking because I I just all that crap that was going wrong. It was like first thing in the morning, and I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I just I'm gonna go in the shop, get some stuff done. And granted, there's certainly technology out there that can go wrong as well. But mm-hmm. you know what? I pick up a board, I'm jointing, I'm planing, I'm, I'm milling some stock, and I can, you know, for the most part, predict what's going to happen. Um, it just is so much more relaxing, you know, than dealing with some of this technology stuff sometimes. Oh, yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, when I when I think about all the microphones that I've gone through, right. um, let's see, I'm on like a, I, I had to move off my desktop computer to the <laughs> laptop because... I think I blew out the sound card, and I just haven't gotten around <laughs> to doing anything. With it. I don't know if I blew it out, but it, it just doesn't want to work, so it, it kind of blows chunks right now. Yeah. And <laughs> now I'm on the laptop, and there's times with that that it's like I'm holding my breath just hoping that, you know, the the reason why it's acting funny isn't because of what my kid downloaded the night before or, or I oh, downloaded man. earlier in the day. <laughs> what a mess, right? I mean, it's it's one thing after another, so – just so you people know, we don't have a, a you know gigantic audience, but Wood Talk Online does pretty good for an audio show. Um, but you know what? We do 
we do a lot of work for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but we love you. We keep coming back. <laughs> hey, you know what? If we didn't love it, we wouldn't do it. But it's well worth the effort. But sometimes the effort is a little bit more than we bargained for. You know? Yeah, there are definitely those moments. So you guys listen to it, and it's, what, maybe 45 minutes, an hour long. What you're not aware of is sometimes it takes us up to two days to get it done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least it feels that way. <laughs> it, it, cer- it certainly does, Matt. That's uh, no doubt about it. So anyway, enough about our bitching. Uh, let's get on to things that people actually care about. Let's talk about about some woodworking. Let's do it. Sweet. So, so what's going on now? Well, Let's I'm a. Uh, I got a, a couple. Well, actually, I'm working on one project right now for the show, and mm-hmm. I've moved on to a different little, a little bit of a different format with the Wood Whisperer. Um, I, as I'm starting to look at doing full projects, obviously, a project is not something that can be done in, in three to four days. Um, you know, so I get to a point where how do I actually film this and get this information out to people, but still build a project at the same time and, and not have them wait a month before I get a video out. So, um, I've kind of switched over to a uh, film as I go type method. So I focus on different parts of the project as I go. Uh, and it actually turns out to be better because now people have time to contemplate my next move and think about what joinery they might use in that scenario. Um, and, and it's working out pretty well. So, um, Sweet. yeah, it's just a little end table with uh, some nice curved uh, carved legs, kind of reminiscent of uh, the sculpted rocker, Maloof-style rocker um, okay. type things where the joints just kind of blend in to each other, giving the piece sort of a one-piece uniform look. Um, so it, it should be a lot of fun. Um, but that's that's about all that's going on over here. Yeah, cool. You know, I, I tried something like that with uh, – um, if anybody remembers the the Aiden Dresser series where I actually kind of got started out, I was very good about following through with it until suddenly got to that one point where um, I decided just to move forward. And I forgot to even bring the camera in the shop with me. And it wasn't <laughs> until I got completely done that I'm like, oh, crap, I, I missed, you know, I got you halfway there. And then I stopped. So oh, I still man. get emails about that one. Like, hey, when are you going to show us the rest of that video? <laughs> well, I guess I would have to tear the, the dresser apart yeah. <laughs> and start all over. Or I could just make up another one and just pretend like I was doing there it. So. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's tough to play two roles at the same time. You're, you you got to be focused on woodworking and you got to be worried about making a good video. And that's that's pretty tricky. So. Right. Oh, no, I don't worry about the good video stuff. You guys have seen my videos. It's so dark. You're not even sure what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's the Internet. No one cares. That's um, right. So, so hey, hey go I got a question for yeah. you. You had a, a pretty good uh, subject going on there at, at the, uh, the Wood Whisperer for a while about the woodworking shows and your your rather yeah. disappointing experience there. I mean, yeah. that was that that is pretty. You know, we've got one coming up in Detroit. In fact, actually, it's I think it's at the end of this weekend or this weekend coming up. Oh no, kidding! And I was planning on going, but. After I saw what you said and saw a bunch of the comments, I'm really starting to think, you know, number one, I'd have to drive across state for it. And number two, I'm I'm just starting to think that it might not be worth the the adventure. I mean, everybody loves to get together at wood shows. Sure. But, you know, it it does sound like since this is kind of a newer operation, since the – the people at the the woodworking show had said that they, you know, had their new owners and essentially under new management, that maybe it's like one of those – uh, if you have time to go, it'd be neat. But if not, maybe not rush out and do right. it. Yeah. Well, it is one of those things where, you know, you don't want to kick them while they're down. But the problem is this comes on the heels of a series of not so great shows uh, year after year to begin with. So, um, you know, once that's building up to, to now, which was just like awful, I mean, just ridiculous. It's not often that I, I really gripe about spending, you know, seven bucks, eight bucks to do something. Um, you know, that's just not a big deal. But in this case, 
I actually, you know, was regretting having spent $7 or whatever it was with the coupon uh, right. <laughs> to get in there. And I was just like, wow, this was truly a complete waste of money and time. I mean, it was, oh, wow. it basically take a, a small subset of previous shows and have it be exactly the same thing, but, you know, just a lot smaller um, this year compared to last year. And, you know, there were, there were very few really good demos going on. It was all, if there were demos, it was all product based. Um, it was just like, like you said, there's new management. I hear that they didn't really have enough time to get all the contracts in place to get the big companies there. And, uh, you know, be that as it may, the presentation was the presentation. I mean, I think they probably would have been better off for going this season, um, right. and, and not damaging the reputation of the show any more than it already was. And, and maybe just letting it go and say, okay, you know, 2009, we're going to start over fresh. Right, uh, you know, so I I really don't think it would be worth your time to go. I mean, if you've been to a previous show before, uh, I don't know. Bottom line is, you can find all that stuff on the internet. You can find much better deals on the internet, and you can certainly learn a whole lot more. Just go to iTunes, type in woodworking, and watch a few podcasts, and you'll learn more there any day than you'll learn at at that wood show. Absolutely. It's definitely the, the online experience is really starting to grow. People are really starting to catch on. Yeah, so that's pretty exciting. And yeah, so who knows? Maybe you're right. Maybe like around 2009, maybe if they listen to us right now, <clears throat> woodworking show people um, <laughs> take our advice and just kind of, you know, maybe take a little time off and, and put a little bit more together. And uh, then we'll see where you are then. That'd be kind of neat. Well, but... you know, far be it for us to dish out advice on something that we know nothing about. But the bottom line is, you know, we know good woodworking entertainment and there are shows out there that do it right and there is a formula you know there are things that people will go out there for for instance the show i don't care about deals anymore because i know i can get better deals online but if i knew that there were you know three or four people teaching or doing a seminar even if they cost money i would absolutely have spent an entire day there just to hear a few notable figures talk and, absolutely you know and since i'm there i might pick something up while i'm there at least a, a good percentage of people will and I, I don't understand why that is not the focus of these shows. Education should really be the focus. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. They have to be center stage. And then, you know, the uh, the great deals off to the side, of course, help out to really kind of, you know, cement the uh, the whole thing. But right. yeah, you're right. Yeah, I would do the same thing if I if I saw, you know, certain individuals up there, you know, I mean, like the, the local one I just we recently had at my favorite lumber mill. They just had um, John Wilson from the, uh, the the home shop in Charlotte, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, who have read popular woodworking magazine, uh, he, he's been featured in there a few times. And by no means whatsoever is he like, you know, like on the level of like a Norm Abram or a Scott phillips or anything like that but it was really unique to see him there and actually talking about things that i've seen in articles and stuff like that and yeah. i yeah i would definitely pay to see more of that yeah absolutely and i i think hope from what i understand they probably are going to be doing stuff like that but it's you know again it was just a bum year and i don't know it's going to be hard for me to go back the the website needs to really really push how great the show is going to be, you know, so that I could actually see for myself what's going to be there. And then I probably would consider going, but right. Uh, anyway, enough about it. Okay. That. Let's, let's stop kicking them in the shins. Let's <laughs> yeah. move on. <laughs> kick them, oh, kick them when they're down, Matt. Hey. Hey, you know, speaking of kicking people in the shins and stuff like that, well, actually, wouldn't be kicking the shins. <laughs> I finally had a chance to clean out the garage a little bit the other day, and I had mentioned a long time ago. Those sometimes the the topic of spray uh, finishes have come up, and uh -huh. I know we've talked before about you know, like, oh, do I have a spray finisher? And I've mentioned a long time ago that my family bought me the the little critter, and that was right. my my little adventure into into spraying. And uh, the the way to really kind of describe it is the 
the container that you put the finish in essentially is a mason jar. Well, it's okay. not essentially, it is a mason jar. Uh -huh. <laughs> and you screw this thing on. And really, the more I think about it, it's kind of a glorified, like, little, um, um, like a little, those little pen sprayers is what it really comes down to, like a little right. airbrush. But I found mine the other day, and I'm so excited about it because now I can, like, maybe start trying once again. And who knows how many coats of whatever I'm going to be getting on the new garage now that we moved into this house. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cool. So what, so what do you have lined up that you're going to – I mean, you're just going to do a full-on project with lacquer or something along those lines? Uh, Maybe some shellac. Yeah. <laughs> Probably like a uh, paint. <laughs> oh, there you go. You're gonna go paint the fence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm I'm building a, a bed for my my wife and I right now, and that's what she wants to paint it. And so I'm like, uh, you know what? Rather than rolling it out, I could uh, practice on. And the second I said practice, she's like, no, there's no practicing. <laughs> <laughs> you practice before you do the project. <laughs> that's right. You know those people that are paying you to do the stuff. Yeah. You know the occasional ones. You practice on theirs. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Well, you know the difference in quality between the. A, a rolled or brushed, you know, paint finish versus the sprayed stuff is pretty, pretty significant, especially in my hands. So <laughs> yeah, 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 not quite. Yeah, that I, good. I'm definitely going to have to stay away from the, even the, this little thing. I, I overkill every single time and yeah. it's just, it's not pretty. So I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll just do some practice boards. You know, we've always got scrap laying around. Sure. So what the heck? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, changing gears. Um, we had a little event at Festool um, last week. Oh, okay. I know people probably get sick of hearing me talk about the company, but suck it up. Um, yeah. They, hey, they give you free tools to give away to people, so people have got to love that. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, they had a, an editor's event, and apparently they are releasing uh, three new products, and this was a way to give people a little sneak peek without you know, without saying, Here, here's a sample tool, go go play with it. Um, this was an, you know something for the editors to actually come in. Uh, and, you know, they did exactly what they hoped they would. They went back to their blogs and talked a little bit about it, but it's not necessarily something you're going to see show up in a magazine yet because they're just not ready to release uh, all the specs and actually release product just yet. But um, I guess if you want, I can kind of tell you a little bit about what, what they had there. and um, uh, Yeah, give hello. Little, <laughs> give you a little heads up. Um, uh, hello, new tools. Um. <laughs> yeah. uh, they had three new tools, uh, and I'll make it pretty quick. They had the Capex, which is the uh, long-awaited, um, much-anticipated uh, sliding compound miter saw. Oh, I thought you were going to say the ex-husband of Britney Spears, but that's K-Fed. <laughs> that's so. K-Fed, yeah. This is Capex, his brother. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they, they have the Capex now, which is a fantastic slider. Um, it's uh, really versatile, very accurate. Um, you know, a couple notable features that it has. Um, it has, let's see, the most important things I would say, number one, it's very lightweight. Uh, it's anywhere from 15 to like 25 pounds lighter than most saws in that class. Okay. Um, it's actually like obviously metric, but it's more of a 10 inch, uh, sliding compound miter saw than a 12. Uh, okay. But the cutting capacity is much closer to a 12 than it is a 10 based on, on how they've de uh, designed this thing. Um, another real notable feature I think a lot of people are going to like is whenever you put a slider in position, you've got to have a lot of room behind it. You can't necessarily butt it right up against the wall uh, because the, the, the bars have to go somewhere when you push the head back. Uh, right. Typically, you need you know a couple feet behind the footprint itself to actually you know accommodate that. Well, they've they've sort of addressed that by having the bars be stationary and forward, and you're actually just pulling the head along the two bars. Um, so there is, you know, once it sits in a position, you could put it right back against the wall, flat against the wall, and it's never going to be a problem. 
Oh. Wow. Yeah, that is a nice feature. It's cool. almost got like a radial arm saw in a way. If exactly. You think about it. Yeah, it is. And they uh, a couple little, uh, just the, the typical Festool style things that they do. For instance, um, if you're working with this thing on a job site, you place it on the floor. Well, if you happen to have a couple sustainers with you, the plastic cases that the tools come in, um, the smallest sustainer is exactly the height of the bed of this thing. So you could put a sustainer out on each side and then you've got support for, you know, long pieces of trim or molding or something like that. Okay. Um, which is pretty nifty, but the, the hardcore features they've got, um, this, I don't know if you ever adjusted the, uh, the bevel angle on a slider or, a, you know, or a compound miter saw. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. usually not, yeah. not the easiest thing. Certainly not the most accurate. Um, yeah. Don't look forward to doing stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This has just basically a little clamping lock. You lift it up and now it's, you know, we'll go back and forth and it's spring loaded. So you can kind of pretty much do it with one hand. And they've also got the, one of the bars has a handle on it and you can twist the handle and it will slowly, you know, um, very accurately roll it to one side or the other just by turning this handle. So you're not doing these uh, major adjustments. You're actually just turning it and getting a nice fine adjustment as you twist it in the position. Um, oh man. Yeah. Which is pretty slick. Uh, now, who, who, who wants convenience? Who wants accuracy? Who, who, who would want these things? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you would think it's uh, it, you would think it wasn't that big of a deal, but it is. Um, so yeah, there's, I could be here all day just listing all the features. I mean, it's, it's really an, an amazing little miter saw. Um, I would say, you know, the thing is, it's, you know, it's going to have a pretty good price tag associated with it, you know, and that's mm-hmm. always, always the drawback with um, Festival. I don't think anyone really ever debates the quality and the value. Right. Um, what they usually have a problem with is just the price tag. And, and I think it's going to depend on the type of woodworker. This is not a tool that I'm going to come out of the gates going, everybody should have this, you know, it's, it's just not necessarily the right tool for certain people. Um, right. You know, if you're doing if if you make your living doing trim molding, whoa, you're going to want this thing. You know, this is going to make the difference in time and accuracy that could make the difference in, you know, the type of uh jobs you get and and how fast you get your jobs done. Um, yeah, by all means. Yeah, how about okay, here's the other thing, dust collection. I don't know of any uh, other miter saw in the world that has dust collection nearly even close to what this this one does. This one is incredible. Yeah, I think the, with the, I know the miter saw that I have. It's like the it's laughable when it really comes down to it because yeah. somehow that little tiny port is supposed to grab all that stuff that's being sucked in the back, and I don't care what powerful vacuum I have on the back of that thing, I still have easily an inch of sawdust on the backside after I've made just you know a few cuts. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've seen those ridiculous contraptions that people come up with to put a shroud behind it, and they build these giant angled plywood boxes that never really work you know? yeah I always, I always imagine like you know on the, on the old steamships you always see like the uh, the big giant like uh, looks like a phonograph uh you know cone kind of a thing yeah 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 exactly <laughs> it's just like that um but this unit i mean the way they direct the sawdust is is amazing it actually it actually works uh which is pretty cool so um, you know, I'm missing a bunch of things. My head's not in the game today, so um, that no, that that's more than enough. I mean, that that's that's enough to get me drooling. Yeah. And yeah, that's it. and it really it's of course, like you said, it's it, it's expensive, but seriously, when it comes down to it, especially for the professional, let's get serious, everybody. You know, you you'd want it because it works so damn good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, you know, it's it's definitely accuracy big deal on this tool. So anyway, enough about the Capex. The other two tools are two routers. Um, one thing I guess that 
I don't know that they 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 had a pretty heavy duty router, the OF two thousand, but um, they lacked a really small laminate trimmer size router in their in their set. So um, they have the MFK seven hundred, which is just mm-hmm. a fantastic laminate trimmer. Um, you know, I I, I think I don't know if you saw my edge banding episode recently on the the Wood Whisperer, but I was discussing the way that I typically handle edge banding. Um, okay. Yeah. And I use a I use a block plane, and you know what? I hate to have another reason not to use my block plane, um, but <laughs> yeah, like you don't really need them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the the one or two things that I still use my hand tools for, I'd like to cherish those if possible. And Festool <laughs> is screwing that up for me right now. Yeah, um, they're like they're you know they they really are kind of like the modern day one. You're coming in, ripping it out. Go, what, what's wrong with you? Seriously, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there's this, no cord on this thing. Come on. <laughs> right, it doesn't plug in. Why are you using that? But it it actually um this little laminate trimmer, uh you know for flush trimming and edge trimming and things like that. They've got some incredible quick change bases. Um, some great technology that stops you from gouging the plywood um, veneer, which is usually oh. the reason I don't do the mechanical sort of um, power tool methods of trimming my uh, my edge banding is because I typically, you know, there's at least a 15% chance, I would say, that I'm going to do something that will gouge the veneer face. And, and to me, that's just way too much error to even play with it. So I always do it by hand. Um, they have a base that actually inclines the body and the, the bit at about, I think it's one and a half degrees up so that the bit itself, even when you're fully contacting the edge banding as low as you want to go, you're still, um, the blade is not going to contact the veneer, you know, which is just, yeah, it's a a really (laughs) nice feature. So it gives you that, that, that one and a half degree incline, which is just enough. So, you know, literally when you're done a little bit of light sanding and then, and then it's perfect. And the other thing is it, uh, in addition to having the base that rides is it holds the um, it holds the whole body of the unit horizontally uh, and the base attaches that way there's a bearing a big fat bearing that rides underneath the bit that will uh, rest against the um, the actual edge of the edging material and stops you from going in too far so you're completely controlled and literally turn it on zoop, go you know right around and it's it's a breeze it's it's I mean, there's a bunch of other crap you can do with it, but that's the thing that I'm the most excited about. So, you know, these these sounds like things I would be using my scrap wood to make jigs for. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to get yeah. these same effects. And here they are, just you know, putting it right into the into the piece of equipment. That that's not right. The, think <laughs> about all that those poor scraps of material that are now going to be just laying around, being wasted. No more jigs. Not being built for jigs. Yeah, oh, and and then, like I said, there's a ton of ways to do it, and you know, with your router, with a table saw, and just putting up a a sacrificial fence and you could buzz off edge banding in, in a flash, but I just never had enough time or confidence in those methods. So um, the last thing that they have is a big daddy mamma jamma router. Um, it's called the OF 2200. Uh, it's a, they don't usually go by horsepower. They typically uh, express their power in wattage, but uh, I guess it would be about the equivalent of a three and a quarter. Okay, well, that's um, good size. <laughs> yeah, and this thing is a monster. Um, you know that again. That's going to be a little bit overkill for most people's shops. I probably won't go around recommending that much. But if you're in a heavy duty router, uh, you know, routing situation, and you know, you make your living doing routing, or you're doing solid surface or something. I mean, this thing, this thing is nasty. I mean, it is super powerful. But what they did was they came up with a few features that I really wish were on some of the other routers because they're so cool. Um, they've got this plastic uh, dust shroud on the base that's that's just kind of there. 
when you plunge down, most of the time, you know, you sort of close up some of that space, but you're not sealing it off enough. So the dust collection is never usually that good. Right. Um, and if they do have an attachment that goes up toward the top uh, to close that space off, that attachment typically blocks visibility and just gets in the way. And most of the time you take it off and then mm-hmm. you either wind up stepping on it later or, you know, <laughs> you, you accidentally throw it away. Well, yeah. how did that get broken? I don't know what the hell's going on here, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you plunge down, they've got this little shroud that hangs around the motor, uh, the, the actual bottom of the motor. And you flick this little button and it's spring loaded and it drops into place and drops right inside the other plastic shroud that's on the bottom. So no matter what height you're at, it automatically drops down and hits the base so that it seals it up. And when you pop on that, uh, the dust extraction, I mean, nothing gets away. It's, it's the, the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, so, so basically they've come up with a better dust collection for a miter saw and a better dust collection for a router, which to me are like the most laughable things that you can do any type of dust collection with. I mean, the, the, the plunge router that I have, they actually have the, the nerve of them to come up with this like little plastic shield that (laughs) I don't know what the hell they're trying to shield me from. (laughs) It's like maybe occasionally a small chip will bounce off of it, but the big ones are getting around it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is the difference here, um, you know, companies have their priorities set in different places and, uh, you know, there's, there's no question that with, with Festool, the, the dust collection is a priority from the beginning. It's not an afterthought. Um, so everything is designed in a way that it allows the dust collection to work better and better and better. And as time goes on, they just come up with better ways to do that. Um, you know, a lot of other companies, unfortunately, you know, they've got their, their priorities elsewhere. Dust collection typically becomes an afterthought. Um, but you know what? In the world of awareness that we live in now with the Internet and people finding out just how dangerous some of these things are for them, like wood dust, um, it's becoming increasingly vital you know, that people uh, seek out tools and, and, and things that actually allow them to breathe better and, and not get that crap in their lungs in the first place, not to let it even get in the air, capture That's it right. at the source, and you know, you're going to solve yourself a lot of problems. Heck yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. That way you can also have a longer life to enjoy woodworking. Amen, or brother. watching and listening to podcasts. So. Yeah, well, the, or, yeah, or the, the uh, armchair uh, woodworkers, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we had to come up with something for that. The, yeah, the, the Monday morning woodworker. Yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't have done that. What I would have done is this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got, a, we've got a, a couple of emails, and uh, we do have two voicemails. So I say let's hit the voicemails. Okay. And uh, see what we've got left over uh, time-wise, and we'll hit a couple emails. We we spent a lot of time chatting today. Oh, but people love the sound of our voice. Right. I know when I listen to this show, I love the sound of my voice. Yours, yeah, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Yours, no, no, no. Well, no yeah, we're like, we're like two old ladies over here. Right. That's right. We don't want anybody interrupting us, or I'm going to hit you with my uh, my hand. Well, not a handbag. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> hey, well, I got bingo after this, so uh, let's get a move on here. Okay, um, let's do it. Yeah, completely unprepared, so I don't know who these uh, voicemails and emails are from. We're just going to hit it. Um, whoops, that means I just got an email. Okay. I know that noise seems to come in all the time when I'm, <laughs> when I'm recording. Uh, I, I, for some reason, was starting to worry that it was just me that was hearing it. It's so. actually al- aliens <laughs> trying to communicate with you, Matt. It's time to go yeah, home. They're back again. <laughs> All right, here we go. Mark, Matt, love both your shows. Thank you for your dedication to the woodworking world. This is Austin calling from college in Northwest Arkansas. I'm building a table right now, and I really need your personal opinions. I just listened to your finishing podcast, and I know there are a thousand options I could do to cover my table with. Uh, 
but I'm not sure what to pick. So I'm really just looking for your personal opinion. Building a uh, kitchen table with a walnut top, hard maple uh, aprons and legs. They will be uh, painted with black milk paint. And I don't know how to finish the top. It's going to have a little wee chamfer around the edge, but you know, I, it, it needs to be resistant to getting knocked around. It needs to be resistant to maybe alcohol being spilled on it. But I don't know maybe what would look the best. Maybe a satin polyurethane. I don't know. Please answer my question. I'm looking forward to hearing what you men have to say. Good day. He sounds so desperate. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Let's string this one out for a while. Austin, you're going to have to call back. I think we're going to skip this one. Yeah, we'll uh, wait till next week on this one. (laughs) I would like some more begging and pleading. (laughs) Please, please. Um, Maybe a picture of you on your knees begging. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There you go. Um, I don't know. What would you say? What's your uh, your best advice for our home? Okay, my best advice, and I know some people are not so happy with this, but you know what? Years ago, I built a uh, table for my family, a, a trestle table, and basically all I used, only because I'm, I was very ignorant about finishing at the time, was just good, straight, old-fashioned polyurethane. Put several coats on it, mm-hmm. and... Um, I know really when it comes down to it, when polyurethane unfortunately gets gets nicked, you know, it, it's you, it's not it's not like lacquer. It's not like she like you can't just kind of blend it in with a, another coat. You really have to kind of, you know, scrape it out and start all over again. But to be honest with you, it's it's the best finish that I've had for that. It, it's held up, you know, to I don't know how many times being stabbed by a fork, because in my family, the first one to get the food is the only person that gets to eat. So there's a, there's a lot of skirt, you know, fighting at the table. There There is some, you know, some gouges periodically. And um, most of the time, the things that have been gouged are hands and not the table. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, it took several coats to get it there. Um, I think I ended up like a minimum of like four coats and I, I think it gave me enough protection, but it, it is starting to wear down a little bit, but that that's what I've used. And I've been very, very happy with it, to be honest with you. Hmm. Um, it, it's, yeah, it, it's definitely held up and it was just, it wasn't a water-based one. I'm sure the water-based would work perfectly fine with the new formulas that are out there, but that's, sure. that for sure has always been one that's just, I still look at it today and I can see the one night that we had rib roast and it was amazing. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I I can't disagree with you there, Matt. I think, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to, I don't know, you just have to to bow down to, uh, you know, the powers that be, you know. And sometimes <laughs> polyurethane works really, really well for an everyday use, you know, table that you know is just going to get the crap beat out of it, um, you know. And I've tried to do that with, um, you know, I've got some uh, pre-catalyzed lacquer I put on my mom's uh, kitchen table, which gets used all the time, every single day. Um, and every time I go over there to eat, I take a look at it and just kind of inspect it and see how it's uh, holding up. Now, it is an alder table, so it's not exactly the hardest wood underneath it in the first place. But the okay. fi- the finish is taking a, a, a beating. I mean, it's and it's showing it. It's not resisting the beating quite as much as I would have liked it to. So, you know, I would say... If you're really, really looking to get, I mean, the thing is, there's no doubt that the pre-cat lacquer finish looks better than the poly finish, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. Um, you know, you have to realize in a lot of cases, you are balancing what really looks good and looks natural and doesn't look plasticky and fake with what truly protects the wood, you know? Right. So, um, you know, if he's really concerned about it being uh, beat up, he's got milk paint on it. I think he needs to protect that color as well. I think he's going to need a couple good coats of just straight old polyurethane or, you know, maybe even 
uh, like Balin's rock hard tabletop varnish. I've heard good things about. Um, okay, you know it's a high solids uh, urethane, or I don't even know it, if it's a poly varnish or not, but um, it's it's pretty strong, durable, looks pretty darn good on the surface, and uh, a few coats of that should do you just fine. And I would probably say build up a couple coats of gloss and smack on uh, your final coat with whatever sheen you want. You know, if you're going for semi gloss or satin. Uh, and that that should be fine. There are other things that will work, but I think you and I are apparently on the same page for for what we would do in that scenario. Yeah, I I totally agree. It's just there's there's sometimes when you know there, there are the traditionalists that's just no, it, it it does give it that that you know plasticky look. But seriously, he for everything he was saying, absolutely. Yeah. You know something you mentioned there. It was for whatever reason. What what the heck was I watching? I was watching something, and it was woodworking related. And that the uh, the the person was talking about finishing. And you mentioned you know put the 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 gloss on, and then with the last one put on whatever sheen you're going to go for. Uh huh. And and for whatever reason that that just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like that makes total sense because I know for myself this particular table that I built, I actually put on. Uh, my wife wanted semi gloss. She was afraid that we were going to see the reflection of each other going for the food. So therefore, <laughs> it's kind of like wearing it down a little bit by you know rubbing it out a little bit. But I had put nothing but layers of the semi-gloss and it worked fine but it's like after i saw that i'm like dude that makes so much more sense because what all it is is the differences with the semi-gloss and the satin is just what the 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 crystals or whatever the the sand that they add to it the silica yeah to give it that look yeah and that's that's pretty much it so the the concept is if you're going to build up a finish just build it up with the pure stuff um if you are adding all of the um you know, and then and there's a name for it, and it escapes my memory right now. But uh, like the flatteners, if you okay. if you add a bunch of flattener to it, you're you're building up. You know, that's part of the composition. You know, so there's I don't know for sure that it's really going to affect the strength. I have heard that it's you know not quite as durable as full strength. You know, high gloss. Um, but the main thing primarily is they say that if you're building up layers of um, you know, the semi-gloss or a flat material, you're actually going to have a murkier finish when it's all said and done because, you know, it's sort of a layer that you can't completely see through and you pile on three or four of those layers, now you're actually obscuring the grain. Uh, Whereas if you do three or four coats of gloss and then hit the final coat with the thing that's going to change the sheen, you still have a better chance of actually seeing the grain. It doesn't obscure it as much. Uh, right you know so and and like you said lots of people don't do that and are perfectly fine with it but if you're looking you know to get the best results possible stack the cards in your favor and that's probably the way you would want to go yeah that that sound that was the point that the the yeah that the the gloss would show more of it through and then everything else and that's what i was like you know that makes sense because yep. the table i had we made it out of uh ash and there was some really beautiful figure in it and to some degree the, the more i look at it it is kind of like one of those I'm just not seeing it pop like I did, you know, when yeah. I first put that first coat on. Sure. So, yep. Sweet. All right. Okay. So we got another voicemail in there now. Indeedly doodly. Here we go. Hey guys, how's it going? This is Roberto again. I have a different question for you today. I wanted to know more about power shapers. You know, those um, machines that are shapers. I once asked someone. They said it was pretty much a. Uh, your router cable on steroids, and I'm just wondering why do more people opt for the regular router cables and than a, uh, a shaper? I mean, a shaper would seem to me better. Uh, let me know what the difference is. Okay, I I think I put an article up at one point, and I know this has come up in the past. We may have even linked to it in our show notes in the past. Um, 
where what was I think it was a fine woodworking article maybe where it was uh, asking that answering that question when do you go to a shaper you know when right. what type of work should you be doing before you justify a shaper um you know obviously it's exactly what we said it's like a router table on steroids uh my opinion on why people tend to go more toward the router table router table uh route is most people already have routers so once they get to the level that they want to do some table like, you know, router table style routing, they've already got half of the setup, you know, so they, they could just put their, you know, plunge router or whatever type of router into uh, into a table and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas a shaper is a whole new tool with a whole big footprint, um, you know, and what, what winds up happening is the people who get the really big heavy duty routers and put those in a table, by the time you add up the price of the router, the table, uh, you know, the actual roll around cart that it's sitting on or whatever, you know, if you built something, your time that goes into that, when you add all that together, you probably could have just bought a shaper, uh, you know, so yeah, yeah really, <laughs> but I think it's a matter of two things, comfort, people are comfortable with the router. They already understand how to use their router, uh, versatility, you know, because you could take that router back out and, uh, and use it for something else, a handheld mm-hmm. operation if you really want to. Although I think most people generally leave it in. Uh, but you have that option if you want to. You could swap it out really easy. If something goes wrong, you could just pop a new one in most of the time. Uh, and I think it's just a matter of, like I said, just being sensible that you already have a router. How do you get a router table? You take this router, you put it in a table. Um, you don't go and buy a whole other tool for that task. So that would be my guess. I mean, what, do you right. th- what do you think? I, I have to agree with that, especially the comfort level, because when it comes down to it, I mean, the shaper, if you really take a look at these things, they are monsters. They yeah. really are huge, and especially not just so much the machine itself, but when you actually see some of those cutters, it's just like, my God, those could mangle you in a single pass, like even more <laughs> than than a router really could. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are definitely certain jobs, I guess, that a, a shaper can do, especially like maybe with architectural molding, like really big pieces, sure. you know, along the lines of that. But the one thing that really strikes me is that, especially for the, maybe the home woodworker, the garage woodworker, where, you know, shop space is really limited. It comes down to that footprint because even the smallest shapers still take up a little bit of space or, you know, a a considerable amount of space in comparison to where maybe a router table, potentially you could have one where you just, you know, put it up on, um, you know, on a a flip down table or something or up on your bench top and you could move it out of the way or you can, you can have a dedicated one and off to the side. But you, yeah, I think you're totally right with the idea that you know you can you can take the mount the router table or the router in the router table, or you can take it out and use it in so many different ways. I really be interested to see if we'd be to do that with a shaper. That would be one hell of an achievement <laughs> to take that out of the table and you know, hey, hey, you know, John, come over here and help me hold this. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing I would think too, how about the bits? I mean, you can interchangeably take a bit out of your router table and throw it into a handheld router and use it for a different operation. Um, mm-hmm. you know, shaper cutters and things like that, you're not exactly going to pull those out and just use them by hand. So I would say if you're going to be doing a lot of doors, a lot of raised panels, and you're going to get into other, you know, heavy duty routing tasks, and that's just a regular part of, you know, every day in your shop, a router or a, uh, blah, blah, a uh, shaper is probably the best option for you. But for the uh, home woodworker who needs a little bit more in the way of versatility and wants to pull double duty, you know, we don't really want any like Alton Brown would say, no unitaskers. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, we, we definitely want things that can be used for multiple purposes. And, and I think that's why, you know, the home hobbyist and, and average woodworker generally gravitates toward a router table. 
Yep. And if, if you really feel like you need a shaper, maybe that new Festool one you were talking about, we could uh-huh. <laughs> snag that baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that thing would do the trick, that's for sure. Um, all right, well, we've got some emails hanging out in stewing in the email box, and um, Ooh, I'm going to grab one. stinky at this point. They may be, because they've been there for a while. All right, let's see. Let's Actually, see. things have slowed down a little bit. I think everybody's busy and uh, doing the holiday prep uh, stuff, so... Yeah, everybody's got their fingers crossed that that thing they have on their wish list is coming true, and they're <laughs> spying on the uh, the the, uh, the boxes as they're coming in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, um, I'll go with the first one here. I'm going to read a question from my good buddy Dean Knight. Okay, uh, he uh, is a Oklahoma boy and is a, a very good guy. Anyways, uh, he says, "Hi, Mark and Matt. I'm curious as to why David Marks always builds a pattern of everything." Does he build enough of every piece that it is time well spent for him? Or is there another reason that he does that? Seems to me that you are a time ahead if you spend your time on the actual piece and getting it right instead of trying to get a pattern right. Do either of you make patterns or of projects before you build them? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah. You know, it really depends on the project. Um, David is very meticulous, type A personality in a lot of cases, especially when it comes to woodworking. And I think he is always playing it safe. So if you are routing from a pattern, uh, you are much more likely to get, you know, consistent, good quality results than if you just try to wing it and get the cut right, you know, uh, the first time on your actual workpiece. You know, secondly, he's always using some expensive lumber that he probably had in his shed for 20 years. So he doesn't want to take any chances there either. Um, yeah, really, you get it seasoned just the right way, and then you're like, yeah. you know, oh, oops, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, well, and, I did. <laughs> right, exactly. And as a as a professional woodworker, think of it this way. If you make a piece of furniture and, you know, you put it out there, anything from any time in your career, someone can see it and go, I want one of those. Now, if you've well, got a pattern, you know, or a template hanging on the wall, you could just pop that thing down and, and get to it a lot faster and it, it becomes a much more profitable situation for you. And chances are when you build as many things as he has, you're probably going to start to forget a lot of the stuff. So, um, you know, and, and I guess part of the other thing, like I said, he's just a meticulous guy and that's the, that's kind of just the way that he does things. Right. You know? And that makes total sense. You know, that, that, that's the one thing I'm thinking about. Cause I know the only time I ever really make a pattern in my shop is if I am working on a project that not so much somebody's going to ask me to build later down the road, but just the fact that maybe there's a lot of those pieces that I have to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, my freehand um, ain't like it ever was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if there's that's true. If there's multiples, I absolutely I mean, I'm, I'm doing right now uh, this table, which has these funny curved legs. I have to do a template because I need to make four of those suckers and they all need to be the same. So a template is an absolute must in that case. Um, you know, building mock-ups, that's something I actually, you know, was talking about in my latest episode. I'm not big on mock-ups. I am a big fan of diving right in. Um, but, you know, but it really depends on the situation. If there's a lot of unknowns, if it's something that I'm not really sure or confident about the results, I probably will do a mock-up. You kind of have to, and it's a smart thing to do because you don't want to find out after you've already cut, you know, your expensive, uh, you know, figured babinga that, uh, you know, that it's not going to be the right size or that joinery isn't going to work. Right. You know, so you you have to kind of think along those terms. But if it's something you've done before and you're making a one-off piece of furniture that, you know, is no big deal, you could recreate it tomorrow if you had to, then I don't see any reason to necessarily make one. 
Right. Yeah. No. No. I. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Woohoo! Uh, All right. I've got a couple of them in my, in my shop. So, but they're just sitting there waiting for it because I know people want me to make them, but yeah. I can't convince them to do it. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. All right. All right. You want to grab one? Here. Yeah, I got one here, and this one is from. Oh, it's a from a fellow Matt. Ooh. Uh, it says here. Uh, Hi, Mark and Matt. I'm working on a project that requires that I glue up several panels, and I found myself wondering about something as I was working on it recently. When I join a board on my six-inch joiner, the edge is not perfectly flat. It has the little ridges on it from the rotating cutter head. These aren't really big, and I doubt it makes a difference, but would I get a better glue joint if I were to plane them down with a hand plane before gluing? And yes, I know this sounds like an odd proposition. Why not just hand plane them to begin with, you may ask. I've tried that, and my skills just aren't at that level. But I do seem to be able to take one consistent shaving off of the edge of the board, and it's already been joined, if it's already been jointed. Thanks, and uh, oh, Matt, don't give up the laugh from the comment about my laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to laugh more these days, but it's the holidays, and I keep seeing the bills rolling in, so I've been crying a lot. But nice. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, best regards, Matt uh, Paritsky, or Partisky. Okay. Um, We'll just leave it at Matt. So I know exactly what he's talking about here because I've seen this myself, not only with my jointer, but sometimes with the uh, the thickness planer. And you kind of do see a little bit of that that rippling from the the blades. And it's not that the board's not flat. It's just you see where the cutter actually engaged the board. And these can easily be sanded out. There's no getting around that, you know, Mm -hmm. when you you go to sand the board. Um, But for the question about the on edge, I don't really think that it makes that much of a difference when you go to glue them up, but I, there's no reason why I don't see why you can't just simply, you know, knock them down. After all, I have one of those um, edge trimming uh, uh, hand planes or the the edge trimmer, and mm-hmm. I love it for that reason because it gives me that nice, smooth, that very glass-like edge. Right. And you know, in, in my own mind, it does seem like the 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 joints come together nice and tight. But at the same time, I haven't done it on boards, and they do come together, you know, just as tight. So, I think this is one of those. It's a personal preference thing. Yeah. If in your mind you think that you're seeing it coming together tighter and somehow working better, then by all means go for it. But I think close to like actually putting your boards under a microscope, you're <laughs> not going to see the difference. <laughs> right. I would say. I mean, it's technically if they're both perfectly flat, and he does smooth everything out the joint should be better, right? I mean, you're getting more clean contact. Um, But, you know, I've had those ridges too, and a lot of times if you put those boards up together and hold it up to the light, you can't see anything coming through. You know that it's pretty airtight joint. Uh, Add a little glue and clamps, and and you're good to go. So I think me personally, if I guess the other thing is it depends on how bad it is. You know, if if we're only talking like a thousandth or two, you know, as you go across that, and that's what you're feeling. Because don't forget, your fingers are are pretty sensitive. So if you're feeling it, uh, it may not even though you feel it, it may still may not be that significant of a, a ridge. Um, but I guess you know, if it's really not that bad, I don't think there's anything really wrong with leaving it. Um, but you know, sometimes you can get a pretty significant chatter on those machines. Uh, so if the, if it is a lot, it's it's hard to say yes or no because we we don't have the board in front of us. Um, I will just say that there are cases that I would let that go 
but there are also cases where I would absolutely do something about it to clean it up. So, <laughs> right. Maybe the other situation that I was thinking of, as you as you were kind of mentioning, that not only the chatter, but perhaps once in a while, let's consider we have a little bit of tear out. Yeah. And so you know that might be a situation. But yeah, I think we're in agreement on that one. So <laughs> right. So Matt, have have fun with it. Maybe you can improve your skills that way. I know myself. Um, I do great on already trued up boards. Let me tell you, I get amazing <laughs> results. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's. Um... We got a couple short ones here. I think we could probably uh, jump through these real quick. We've got another one here from Todd. He says, uh, "I've recently listened to all your previous shows, several episodes. You've advised people uh, not to finish the inside of their boxes slash blanket chest. I've heard that you need to finish both sides of a project because the unfinished side of a board will gain and lose moisture more quickly than a finished side, causing the boards to cup. Uh, have I been misled all of these years? Thanks for your time, Todd." In Richfield. So, um, do you think he's been misled, Matt? Uh, I, you know, I, I, yes. Or have we? Yes, I do. I, Uh, I am sorry, Todd, but damn it. The forces that, that be have, you know, they're conspiring with the finishers of America or the world. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) there is a, there's a a group out there and they want to take us for a ride. (laughs) Maybe, maybe we've misled him and we're wrong. No, that's not right. (laughs) Um, you know, the thing is with this, it's, it's one of those things. There are a lot of, uh, traditional, um, I don't want to call them wives tales, but they're kind of like wives tales. Old, oh, they're wives tales, (laughs) old, old woodworkers tales. There Um, you go. You know, wives of woodworkers (laughs) where, where things kind of make sense in theory. And there are scenarios in which those things can come about, but it is not a hard and fast rule. So if you, I would say if you take a board and you finish one side, kind of like when you people say about veneering one side of a board, you always want to treat both sides in exactly the same way so that they uh, gain and uh, lose moisture at the same rate on both sides. Mm-hmm. So in theory, it makes perfect sense that if you put a finish and that finish blocks, you know, or, uh, you know, slows down the exchange of moisture across the, uh, the surface you would expect it to warp. And in some cases, I guess if you grab a nice wide plank and you do that and you finish it on one side, it might cup. Well, if you take that same board and just put it down on a, on a you know bench and do the same thing right next to it, guess what? That board might cup too, even though there's nothing on either side. You know, yeah. you, you take a board, finish both sides and put it next to there as your third board. And guess what? That might cup too. You know, so it's. I think the problem is there's so many variables at play in the natural, uh, you know, forces that are at play inside the wood, that sometimes things are going to happen anyway. So the concept here is when you're talking about boxes and things like that, a lot of times these things are locked in in their confirmation that they're in. Um, You know, the side of a blanket chest is not going to move very much at all. You know, it's locked down with dovetails or, you know, some kind of a joint. It's not going to move at all. So if you don't finish the outside and some, you know, force wants to, to pull it one way or another, it's got nowhere to go. It's it, You've glued it all together. It's locked down. Um, right. You know, but so I do believe that there is a little bit of an exchange differential from one side to the other. I don't necessarily believe that it will affect projects that are, you know, um, locked down in place like that. And And I would actually... I don't know. There are times that I probably would do a slightly different finish on the outside than I would on the inside, even if it was just a plain board. I I, bet, I guess I haven't bit you know been bit in the butt on the pro, on a project like that yet to say you know what I'm never doing that again kind of thing. So right, um, I would you know that that's kind of my theory on it. Yeah, yeah. The way I you know the one one thing I always think about is. Like when we build a, a chest of drawers and you, you get it all done, you've got the drawers in place and everything like that. 
at least maybe it's just me, but I never finished the inside of that chest of drawers. You know, even with solid wood, you know, I, I, I put everything together. I spent all my time on the outside of it and everything. Right. But I cannot recall a time when I've ever before I in- installed the drawers or anything like that actually did the inside. Right. And so that's that's really what I think about. I'm like, you know. That that's why I'm not convinced that there is a, a problem with you know not finishing it on both sides yeah. and that same trestle table that I was talking about earlier when I said that I used polyurethane on it to be honest with you the underside of it um, I had no no inclination whatsoever to actually do it because number one it was too big and I was just too damn lazy <laughs> yeah yeah I just put enough surface enough uh, coats on the top that I didn't want to do the bottom and living here in Michigan and we the house that we originally were living in when I built it we didn't have central air and we live right near the water and you want to talk about humidity I mean we were right there <laughs> and uh, sure, the only time that I had any problems is like when we left like a, you know a, a water glass on top of it and that was about the closest thing we had there was no no real cupping or anything like that maybe when i sat on it i physically cupped it nothing nothing could have stopped uh stopped that from happening that's um, right yeah there there's certain things that should just not be on tables yeah yeah so i i don't think you know i, I don't know that you've necessarily been steered wrong because if you do finish the inside i think Again, a lot of these things that we do are preventative measures, and you're stacking the cards in your favor to prevent problems in the future. So if you want to finish the inside of something, I would never discourage you unless you know, you're know you putting something that's going to be stinky over the course of the years for, for a blanket chest or a closed environment. Um, but you know, if you choose not to because you just want to avoid the issue altogether, I would never knock someone for doing that on the basis that it's going to cup. I would never say with certainty that it absolutely will cup. Right. Yep. Absolutely. If you feel the inclination to do it, hey, go for it. But if not, welcome to the club. <laughs> yep. Yep. No kidding. Well, look at all your furniture in your house. Uh, majority of it is unfinished on the inside. That's right. Um, all right. You want to Sweet. grab another one, and we'll uh, we'll make that yeah. our last one. Let's see here. Okay, we have one from Larry. Larry. Let's see here. Larry. Uh. uh let's see. Uh. Hey, Mark and Matt. Great show. Always look forward to each episode. I am thinking about purchasing a dedicated mortiser for my shop. Now, I'm not really sure what to look for when researching. Do either of you have a preference in brand or specifications? Thanks a lot. Making sawdust in Oregon. Larry. Larry. Okay. So, unfortunately, I do not have a dedicated mortiser. In fact, I think I said in the last episode that that's, like, high on my wish list if I can really have one. But I do have a couple of things that since I was kind of looking at them – um, basically the, the one thing that I, I, I'm not really sure about the brands out there, which one would really have this or not. But I know one thing that for me is the, the table, like being able to clamp the piece in place. Nothing is worse than uh, the one that I have right now is actually one of those bands or bandsaw. That'd be really interesting. Uh, drill press <laughs> I'd like to see that. <laughs> To show that to me one day, <laughs> do a video on that one, man. That would make some really interesting mortise and tenon joints. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. But um, so the one I have is a, a drill press attachment, and the one thing I hate with the fence that supposedly is going to help hold it down. So as you're pulling the chisel into place, that thing is just the crappiest thing I've ever had because it always seems like it's either too high or it's too tight. I can't adjust it the right way, and then I need to, you know, if I'm working with multiple different pieces, it's just. It, it just it's crap. There's no right. getting around it. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I, I, I'm concerned about is the handle because uh, it just seems like a, a longer handle, that whole lever thing, just, you know, the longer the lever, the supposedly the easier it is. But at the same time, um, it seems like you'd really snap those off in just the right, yeah. <laughs> just the right conditions. But right. other than that, um, 
that's unfortunately I'm not that familiar with them. <laughs> well, actually, I think you hit it right on. I mean, those are two of the main features you want to look at when you're uh, comparing one model to another. The longer that handle is, the easier it's going to be for you to plunge that bit down. And, and believe it or not, people are surprised. Um, I know the first time I ever used one, I was like, do I really have to pull on this that hard? I mean, most woodworking tools, if you're pushing that hard, you're doing something dangerous and it's going to wind up kicking back or, you know, nothing should resist you that much. So this is a pretty foreign feeling. But when you think about it, yeah, that that bit is boring out most of the material, but you are still, you know, slowly, not even with a hammer, you're just slowly forcing a four-sided chisel down and squaring up that hole. Um, And that is the reason why it takes so much effort. And you'll get a, a nice little workout when you use that thing. So um, Sweet. I'm going to get all beefy. <laughs> you're going to be buff when you're done. At least one side of your body will be. Um, oh, good. That can, can work the other one. <laughs> you're going to have a giant right arm. Um, so if you get a unit like, I haven't looked at it lately, and I imagine it hasn't changed much, but my first one was the Jet uh, unit. And actually, it has one of the shortest handles uh, out of all of them on the market. And you pay the price. I mean, you really have to have that thing anchored down. It's got to be screwed down to the surface. Otherwise, it'll continue to tilt forward. Um, And it is, you know, very difficult to pull that handle down. Other units that I've seen, I believe the uh, Powermatic has a nice long handle. I haven't looked at these recently. I think the last review I read was probably a year and a half ago. Um, The General unit, I believe, had a nice big beefy handle. Some of them even have a handle that curves so that you can grab it with, you know, with your hand in a more comfortable position rather than like a slot machine. It kind of takes okay. a, a 90 degree turn and you pull it down kind of like a, like some miter saws have, um, you know, and that's a little bit more comfortable. Uh, but again, longer the handle, the better. And also longer the handle, the better the parts because you're putting a lot more pressure on those joints, which means that they better make them with better parts. And, and my jet the joint, the little ball and socket joint at the bottom, uh, it did break at one point Ooh. and I had to order a new part. That was that like in the middle of it. Like I, I have this yes. image of you like kind of like hanging onto it with your feet off the ground. <laughs> oh! <laughs> and then it just snapped and I landed on my right ass. in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it did snap while I was, uh, uh, trying to cut through some, um, quarter sawn white Oak. So I was Ooh. given a, a good workout. Um, the other bit of advice, a little bit, you know, side topic, um, definitely make sure you keep those chisels sharp. Uh, they make those conical shaped sharpening devices. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Rockler sells one that has like different sizes and stuff or, or different grits. Um, it's a good idea to get one of those and keep those chisels nice, sharp and honed because they will make your life a living hell if you don't keep them sharp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Burning and uh, the uh, both the of the wood and your muscles probably yeah. not a good thing. Yeah. Now, did did he? What was did he have another specific question, or was he just asking um, for? Well, he was saying the uh, was uh, regarding uh, preference for brand or specifications was okay. really just the main thing. Yeah, I would then... look up some of the reviews, see if you could find them again. Um, you know, reviews or reviews uh, take them for what they're worth, but. Um, if you can actually get out there and take a look at some of the units, um, you know, there, there's some decent ones out there. Uh, you know, actually I would have, like I said, I would have to recommend against the jet. Um, I think the Delta is a little bit better of a unit if you're looking to stay in that price range, but if you're looking to step it up a little bit, uh, I like the Powermatic, and, um, I think the general is a pretty decent unit. You know, I wonder, does Steel City have one yet? 
you know, I'm, I, it seems like by now they would. I don't know. I have to go to their website. Yeah. I don't remember them mentioning anything about it. I know they got granite top everything else. I wonder if they have a granite top. <laughs> granite top mortiser. <laughs> mortiser. God forbid. <laughs> um, I'm looking it up right now. Bench mortiser with chisels. It looks like they do. Okay. And it looks like it's got a nice little short handle on it. It has extendable uh, bed arms on the side, so you can uh, the the clamping system. That's another thing you mentioned. Um, you know the clamping unit. That's important because whenever you are bringing the chisel back up, sometimes mm-hmm. it takes just as much force to get the chisel up and out as it did to get it in. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that with the, the the attachment I have for the drill press. That's exactly the same thing. I always assumed it was because I'm working with that small arm on the drill press. Right. You know, and th- and that's one of those things I know a lot of people um, like myself, you know, when you, you, you see that and you're like, oh, I can have like, you know, two machines in one kind of a thing. And I'm at that point now that I barely ever use it because of it's such a pain to set up and I'm so dissatisfied with the results that I'm getting sure. from it that it, it's definitely a benchtop mortiser is definitely the way to go that it's 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 high on my list. Yeah. Now, if you um, if you what the hell is I saying? Oh, if. If you look at the clamping system, a lot of times the clamping systems, you can see that even when they're clamped down completely, there's a little bit of play. And that's why it takes so much effort to pull that chisel out. If the workpiece was clamped down and was not moving at all, like not even going to budge, you should be able to plunge down and pull it right back out without much effort. Um, But when you have a little bit of play, that's when it becomes hard to pull it out because it's a perfect tight fit. And, you know, obviously lifting that back out is going to be trouble if it even moves the slightest bit because now it's skewed. Uh, right. You know, so a good solid clamping system is is absolutely critical, uh, and a good fence system is important too. So nice beefy fence would be nice. But the Steel City unit, I no experience with it, but I'm looking at it right now, and it's got one of the shortest handles I've ever seen on one of those uh, mortisers, which is kind of kind of surprising. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's tiny. It's it looks like a little toy. Oh, you know, you mentioned the fence, and actually, I brought up uh, um, a uh, an article I found here, and it uh, has uh, both the general and it says the wood tech mortisers. I'm not sure how old this article is, but they have a a fence system where not only does it kind of hold it down from the top, but it actually has like like a little vise that holds it flush against the uh, the the fence. So it looks like you're uh, also getting that extra support that way. That's nice. Yeah, you definitely. know the um, the wood tech. Uh, I don't I've never really paid much attention to their stuff, but they. Uh, in a hybrid uh, saw review that they had in Fine Woodworking uh, recently, I believe they came out on top in a really? hybrid table saws. Yeah, as far as you know, just features and just whatever best overall. Um, you know, again, like I said, I, I you know depends on who's doing the test and what they're testing, and, and you know if the stars are in in line with the moon. There you, you know, go. <laughs> you're testing one unit out of a giant batch, so you never quite know. But they gave it some really, really uh, good praise. So wow. who knows? Maybe wood tech is something we need to start taking a little bit more of a serious look at. Yeah, I, I've seen the name, and um, I, yeah, it's definitely something I've seen before. And yeah, you're right. I, I have seen a few because I think in this article, actually, this is. Oh, this is fine woodworking. That's where I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is their uh, their benchmarking one, and it was actually considered the uh, the best value. So, oh, okay. that's, yeah, it's definitely sweet. Right, there you go. All right. Well, you know what? I think it's time to put the show to sleep. And uh, you know what? The sooner I get to sleep, the better too, so I can wake up and uh, be you know 
a little bit more chipper tomorrow. <laughs> you could be all fresh and ready to begin the whole new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. <laughs> I can smell the smell of Folgers uh, brewing oh. in the house oh, when great. I wake up. And I, I get to go back to my lab and smell the smell of formaldehyde Ooh, brewing. Mm, that sounds good. Formaldehyde is, is good stuff. Um, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> so I guess, you know what? What are, what are we looking at? Uh, what's what's today's date? Today is the 10th, the... right? We're yes. recording yes. on the 10th for release on the 11th. Um, I wonder, we we should probably try to squeeze another show in before the holiday, but you know what? If things really start slowing down and we've got no emails and there's no hot woodworking news, um, we might probably not chat again until uh, after the holiday. Oh, say it isn't so. So that means, <laughs> listeners, that it's time for you to get some more emails and some more voicemails into us yes. because you don't want to go like – Several weeks without us, it could easily with the holidays be a few weeks before you ever hear these voices again. Could you imagine? Oh no, <laughs> oh, that would be terrible, terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after a while, I get tired of listening to my own voice, and I don't really. But <laughs> so, anyways, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, you know where to get those emails into woodtalkonline at gmail and send us your voicemail messages. We love to hear from everybody. Six two three two four two two four five zero. And uh, we definitely want to hear from you. Absolutely. Sweet. Yes. And if uh, if I don't hear, uh, if we, we don't get this thing going before the holiday, you have a wonderful Christmas, Matt. You too. You definitely have a good Christmas. And the same to all of you out there in yes. podcast world. Podcast woodworking world. Enjoy your holiday. Be safe in the shop. And we will catch you next time. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Adios. Adios.